Hey everyone, welcome into the latest edition of the Postcast, production of the Casper Star Tribune and Pope's Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Star Tribune, and I am joined, as I usually am, by our managing editor, former Wyoming beat Nick, Brandon Foster. Uh, Brandon, I figure I might as well just go ahead and start the podcast and get this out of the way and announce that uh, I am uh, officially retiring to a private island with the substantial winning earnings that I got from winning our office bracket pools. So uh, this is uh, this is it for me. I'm done. Well, yeah, I mean, you've, you've uh, stolen my uh, planned opening banter here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you convinced us to each put 10 grand on it, but you know, kudos. Uh, that was... That was good on you. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was all that close, honestly. So, uh, well done. Yeah. Uh, well, good job on on Baylor, uh, uh, recognizing that they're a good basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if I told you why I made everybody contribute ten grand, then I'd have to kill you. So um, I got to keep that quiet. Well, but... you have an island to escape to. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm obviously being facetious here. Uh, I, I, I want enough money to. Uh, I think buy pay for lunch for a few days which uh you know what in 2021 <laughs> we're taking all the wins we can get so um i think you bought enough money to move to grand island nebraska <laughs> that's, that's your island uh yeah i don't know if which uh, is not an island <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if that amount of money will pay for an island anywhere uh but um yeah man baylor would i did not expect them to be that dominant but sheesh man they were they were on one the other night against gonzaga yeah, I uh, I lucked out because I, I I went home for a couple of days for Easter to see my family, and we were we did Easter on that Saturday, just uh, schedule wise, and um, we were eating during the first Final Four game. Got done just in time to watch the second Final Four game, and then I had plans during the championship game. So of the final three games, I I picked the correct one to watch, which was the uh, the UCLA Gonzaga game, and. I am, yeah, I, I only barely caught any of the title game, but I'm very content with uh, how I ended my college basketball watching season because <laughs> that that was one of the best games, if not the, I mean, just, that was the best college basketball game that I can recall yeah. watching. Maybe I've seen a better one and I'm forgetting about it. I mean, there are games, obviously, where I've had, like, personal investment in them, you know, as, as a fan uh, that might have been more rewarding or, you know, even covering a game live, you know, has a different element. But as far as just like watching a tournament game, I can't think of a game better than that one because it was so good throughout the game, uh, you know, regardless of the ending. And I, I feel like a lot of classic college basketball games are really just classic endings, right? Like crazy things that happen, but then it yeah. got a crazy ending on top of a, a game of just pretty much great offense for like, 40 straight minutes and that that was a treat to watch and uh yeah i mean maybe i missed it but uh i'm i'm not complaining about not having watched the uh the baylor gonzaga game no yeah you took their words right out of my mouth because uh i mean outside of the gonzaga ucla game the final four really wasn't that good i mean they were all Mm. blowout particularly you know on baylor's end obviously but um yeah i mean just the shot making I mean, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, I think UCLA yeah. shot like fifty five percent in that game from the field and still lost. Yeah, um, I think it might have been more than that. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. And also the officiating, because look, man, let's let's be honest. Like the college officiating is, is is on a lower level, and sometimes the games can be hard to watch. Like college basketball in general, sometimes can just be it can be a hard product to watch. 
Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you get those officials that are that want to call forty-five fouls a game and turn it into a free throw contest, but I mean, even, even then, I mean, they let him play, and it was it, yeah, it, it was a fantastic game because I mean, I mean, you mentioned it. We've we've seen all sort of buzzer beaters in the past, right? But for that for that game to be as back and forth as it was and free flowing, and then it, for it was it was almost like because when. I think it was yeah, Juzang for UCLA got the got mm-hmm. the rebound and, and the putback. I was like, yes, like I, I was, like, yes, we're gonna get overtime. Like I didn't want the game to end, and then bam, it was. Yeah. I mean, that was the one Double only. OT. Yeah, that was the only game in the whole tournament like where I actually had a visible react. Like I put my uh, hands up on my head. It was I sort of gasped. <laughs> that was the only time throughout the whole tournament that I ever had a reaction like that. So yeah, it was great. Like I, I sort of. Mentioned um, last week. I mean, the, the, the tournament was overall was was really really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I yelled on the uh, Al- there was the Alabama buzzer beater if I remember right that sent yeah, it to yeah. the but yeah. then they lost. Uh, yeah. But which yeah, involved UCLA too, by the way. That's were, right. That's the only team in the tournament that was involved in buzzer beaters at the end. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and this one I uh, fell out of uh, my chair like. <laughs> At, on the on the banked in shot and yeah it was I don't know it's just like from it from a neutral perspective it was kind of an ideal game narrative wise too because everyone assumed UCLA was a big underdog so I was just rooting for a close game the whole time which is what we got uh, which you know to me just kind of meant rooting for UCLA right because if, yeah. you know I felt like if Gonzaga got up you know eight points or whatever they just start rolling and then all of a sudden it's like okay well the game's pretty much over i'm still kind of rooting for ucla and then gonzaga was almost just kind of there matching them blow for blow um and they really kind of played you know i don't know they were like kind of great villains quote unquote or the overdogs or the favorites i mean not that they were doing anything villainous but you know they were just hanging in with the underdogs and then on the very last play swooped in and took it and i mean some a a couple people tweeted out the espn graphic of you know the points side by side i mean there was like not much of a gap the entire game and even good close back and forth college games um or 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 basketball games at at any level will often uh, be a game of runs right like in general it's a game of runs and one team will go on a run to take a lead the other team if it's a good game will will bounce back and and you know close that gap and it wasn't even that it was it was possession to possession and yeah um yeah i mean i can think of very few college basketball games that i would willingly just like rewatch the entire thing uh having already seen it and that one is certainly one of them yeah it's a classic no doubt but i was surprised that i was the only one in in our bracket pool that had a gonzaga baylor final or that picked that <laughs> i mean it was, i mean they were the two best teams all year clearly and you know i tried to tell people on this very podcast you know my, my bracket advice pretty much sucked in general but one thing I was consistent with was that uh, Baylor had the best backcourt in the country all year, and sure enough, those mm-hmm. uh, Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, and Jared Butler went off. I mean, it, it, it was cra- it was crazy yeah. to see them um, just sort of score at will against Gonzaga like that. But yeah, I mean, personally, I was just like, well, they uh, they had a COVID pause, and I know they've still looked good, but that can tend to screw teams up. So maybe that will you know cause them to stumble too early, and that was. Basically, the extent of my reasoning, reasoning not having, uh, I, I hadn't watched them probably for a full yeah. game all year. And I think, to be fair, in our bracket pool outside of us, too, there might have been one other sports fan <laughs> participating. Everyone else was just 
being a good sport. So <laughs> there yeah, was that's, that's not true. not to diminish from your championship, but uh, that one probably falls <laughs> on me. I probably should have paid more attention. Uh, well, no, it's fair because even I mentioned uh, leading up to the tournament that you know they had the COVID pause and they didn't always look great those first two or three weeks back, but. Man, they found their form in the tournament. That's for that's for sure. Um, all right, so Brandon, uh, Wyoming has started spring football. Um, they've practiced twice now, um, and have had uh, two media sessions. We've talked to Craig Bowl uh, and a handful of players at this point. So we're gonna sort of talk a little bit about spring football and sort of our takeaways so far. Um, and then in this second segment, uh, we will talk about where Craig Bowl ranks among group of five head coaches, at least according to The Athletic, which released a list of its top 15 G5 coaches recently. So we will uh, we'll hit on that a little bit later. But first, dive into uh, just a little bit of spring football and uh, should mention that um, all the practices are, are closed to the media still, all of our Interviews are over Zoom, so I mean we, we're, we're sort of stuck having to take Craig and the, and the players at at face value with what they're telling us because we're not out there watching anything uh, or, or seeing what, what what's going on. So um, still still a little bit a little bit tough to to I guess gauge and evaluate what you're really seeing. And but um, Brandon, a, a couple takeaways for me talking to Craig and some of the players so far is uh, first of all the fact that Sean Chambers is. Still on the team at this point, considering the fact that he revealed uh, earlier this week that he briefly contemplated giving up football, you know, following those those three season-ending injuries he's had uh, in the last three years. And um, I guess it's not a, a, a real surprise, you know, given the fact that when, when you consistently have, you know, injuries back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, I mean, that, yes, there's the physical part of that, right, and the rehab and, 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 and the significant work that it takes to get back, but – you know, when you have those injuries um, consecutively and, and you put so much work, because you know it's going to be months and months of rehab, you know, to get to a point where, where you're healthy enough again to, to perform at the level that you know you're capable of, and then to get that far, get healthy again, have another injury, and basically start all the way back at square one, that can take just as much of a mental toll. And, you know, he even admitted the fact that, you know, he kind of sort of went to a dark place mentally and, and wondered, you know, sort of wondering, is, is football really for me? This college football thing is, is it going to work out for me? And, you know, said he, you know, talked, had a lot of conversations, you know, with his family and particularly his mom, who, who he said, you know, told him that, you know, nobody would blame him if he ended up walking away. But um, ultimately, you know, he said that he's not a quitter. Uh, and, you know, he came to Wyoming um, you know, what, three years ago now, it's crazy to think that he's entering his fourth year in the program, yet he's only played 13 career games because of all the injuries. Um, so, he, you know, talked about the fact that, you know, he, he came here to start something and to win games and to try to make this program into a Mount West contender again and basically said he's got unfinished business and that you know, it's not in his nature to just, just walk away, uh, particularly when he feels like, you know, that there, there's there's an unfinished part to, to his career. So, uh, you know, he's back, again, competing with, with Levi Williams uh, for the starting quarterback job. And then Eric Boise, the offensive lineman, on Thursday um, said that he has lost anywhere from 50 to 55 pounds. And I guess about, you know, four months worth of offseason because their season went to, you know, mid-December. Um, and now we're here in mid-April. So, um, you know, very interesting on, on that front because I do think he's mm-hmm. a – 
he's one of their interior linemen that I think has a shot um, to, to get some real NFL looks. And, that, and that's something he mentioned when talking about his motivation to lose all this weight was the fact that um, he has real aspirations at the next level. And, and if he didn't lose some weight, you know, that wasn't going – or a shot at the, at the NFL wasn't going to be – realistic for him and this is a guy that's played you know around 360 370 pounds um craig ball actually said he was down uh to around 329 pounds now or somewhere around that so you know you do the math 329 plus 50 i mean that's that's playing north of 370 pounds which you know aside from just you know you start worrying about someone's overall health at that point right i mean when you when you're when you're approaching four bills i mean that's that's not always a good thing. Uh, but also he talked about the fact that, you know, he, he just felt like he didn't feel feel great. His body didn't feel great. And, um, you know, he wanted to lose some weight to, to become more effective. And he said, you know, his body feels great now. He's moving better. Uh, he feels like his technique is better after losing all that weight. So, um, you know, a couple of key players, obviously, for Wyoming on the offensive side of the ball with some news, I guess, here in, in the first week of uh, spring football. Yeah, I mean, congratulations to Eric uh, for being the only person to lose weight over the last year. So that's, you know, good for him. Good. Um, yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was curious. Uh, we were talking before we hit record, and uh, I remembered when, when Eric signed, you know, he was still a pretty pretty big guy back then. So I went to look up, like, the story I wrote when he committed. Um, and he was a pretty big, pretty big get for Wyoming. Um, you know, he was originally committed to – uh, University of Minnesota that didn't work out and um, so he was you know a guy getting power five looks and has that build and uh, it said he he came in at 350 um, as, as you know straight out of high school and, and uh, he said the coaches wanted him down to 325 or 320 um, and personally it said he uh, it, it being past me um, it says that he wanted to get <laughs> to 305 or 300 um, so this is something that you know has been been a goal of his for a long time um and so yeah i think uh there's a quote here from bowl and he says quote he he said he looks like 290 but i disagree with him um <laughs> so that was back <laughs> you know when he was at 350 and and yeah i i mean that's that's kind of wild considering it's you know we're recording this on april 8th uh they wrapped up the season what in uh december 12th yeah that's that's less than four months um yeah and you know Football players do crazy stuff in the offseason with their bodies kind of all the time. You know, we always, not always, but, you know, pretty frequently have stories about guys putting on a lot of weight in the offseason. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's impressive. Uh, and I, I hope it, you know, it, it does leave him in a healthier place. And, and like I said, you know, he's he's got that kind of build and physique, physique that I think does lend itself to potentially getting looks at the next level. And uh, so maybe this, this will work out for him. But... Yeah, you. I mean, I think you're right. You just got to feel like that's probably good for his health overall. Um, I won't pretend to be an expert uh, at pass blocking or anything to speak to how it'll it'll work. But I, but I think it. You know, you can you can definitely be a good offensive lineman at only 330 pounds. I think that's that's uh, still enough weight to throw around. So yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see if uh, it it pays off for him. But um, you know impressive that you know this has been a goal for a goal of his since uh what like 2018 um and you know yeah. he, he pulled it off in four months so yeah well i mean he's i think he's definitely got a shot at, at, at the next level and again that, that's what he said his main motivation was to 
to lose this weight because you know he, he's getting another year back, so he's technically still a junior, I guess. But mm-hmm. you know, if he if he goes out there and has another big year uh, for them at, at, at his guard spot, um, you know, you, you never know. I mean, you see guys' stocks just skyrocket all the time, right? I mean, there, there's got. I mean, we're the NFL draft coming up uh, at the end of this month, and. You know, there's guys that, you know, you never hear of, you know, before every April when it's the draft is a few weeks away and suddenly they come out of nowhere and uh, shoot up draft boards. And so, um, you know, I mean, if there's a lot of NFL teams that are looking for interior linemen that are, you know, six foot four, six foot five, 330 pound road graders. And and that's what Eric is. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. Now he's He's got to get a little bit better with his pass protection. And uh, Eric actually... Uh, said on Thursday, you know, when we talked to him, that you know this offensive line as a whole has got to get better in, in terms of its pass protection. Gave mm-hmm. him 17 sacks last year in, in six games, um, so that's not great. <laughs> um, so that, they've all got to get better in that aspect. But and it's funny, you know, we we asked him, you know, what, what was the hardest food to give up because obviously he's changed his diet and he said everything. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <laughs> So I don't. I mean, I don't. You know, he didn't really say what he was eating before. That might have been unhealthy, but, but you know, said he had to give up everything and basically start <laughs> over in terms of his diet. But obviously, another player that experienced along that offensive line, which returns all five starters, um, which sort of leads me to my next topic, and that is some of the uh, the injured players that are back and some that are still out. Uh, Alonzo Velasquez, the uh, the right tackle. Uh, who is coming off another knee surgery. Um, he is back, uh, though Craig Bowles said Thursday that uh, he actually was held out of Thursday's practice because of a, a back issue, I think, that flared up on him. But Craig didn't sound like he was too worried about that being a long-term thing. And then uh, Charles Hicks, outside linebacker, he had surgery at the end of last year too, And uh, and but Craig said he, he's back and is actually full speed. Um, Ravante Holt. Is uh, still out at defensive tackle, you know, recovering from uh, his ACL surgery. And also Jordan Bornoli, uh, he's also out for this spring uh, rehab and an injury. So they're a little bit thin still at the defensive tackle spot, but you get Mario Moore back uh, from an opt-out. Um, you get Claude Cole back from an opt-out. Uh, you, you know, some of those those guys and some of their younger players, it's a chance for them to get some reps on the uh, interior of that um, offensive line. But our defensive line, I should say. But one of the interesting things, too, that Craig mentioned this week is, you know, despite the fact that they have, you know, so many guys back, uh, which includes all those those players that opted out last season, um, you know, despite, you know, having a really good sense of his roster, since, you know, some, most of these seniors decided to come back and most of their two deep back intact, he said flat out that every position is open uh, in terms of competition. Now, I think that's more of just a general sense and maybe just wanting it to wanting to get that out in public so that his players know even if they had a starting job last year, maybe it's not necessarily secure. And just sort of breeding that competition. But, I mean, look, I don't think Chad Moomin's job's in jeopardy at middle linebacker, you know. I don't, I don't think that Garrett Crawl's job at defensive end is in jeopardy. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think John Hoyland, who uh, was placed on scholarship, by the way, um, the freshman kicker, yeah. I don't think, at least in in the short term, right now, I don't think he's he's in jeopardy of losing his job. But you know, I do think when you have so many people back, you're getting you know guys back off of opt outs who you know haven't really had any practice or game reps since what last middle of October mm-hmm. when they decided to opt out of the season. Um, I guess it's a time to sort of reevaluate 
everyone who, who's still back in the fold and, and breed some of that competition to see, uh, you know, which of these guys went out in terms of yeah. starting jobs. Yeah, I uh, I feel like that's probably a good, like, diplomatic way to handle that when you kind of have this abnormal situation of guys who sat out last year and for pretty, you know, atypical reasons, right? Like, this is not something coaches have, you know, traditionally had to deal with of someone, someone saying, oh, well, I, I'm not going to play this year because of the pandemic. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a new one. So I think saying, hey, every job is up for grabs is a pretty uh, – a maybe politically savvy way to to, to not have to yeah. uh, maybe say uh, you know there are guys who started that wouldn't have or, or something uh, along those lines or or vice versa that right. you know the guys coming back have to have to start in the doghouse or anything I, I don't know if they do but um, that's that that's how I'd answer it if I were if I were a coach <laughs> um, just to avoid the mess so yeah um, it'll it'll be uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and and like you mentioned, John Hoyland getting on scholarship. I think uh, I think that makes sense. You don't see too many uh, walk on All Americans, um, uh, so I think uh, if, if you do see them, they don't stay walk ons for very long. So, right. congrats to him uh, for for locking that job in and and locking in a, a scholarship on top of it. Yeah, no, yeah, that, no doubt. I mean, you go out there and lead the. Mountain West and field goal percentage and, and scoring. I mean, people. I think people forget that he actually led the whole league in scoring last year, more than nine points a game. Now, you obviously don't want your place kicker leading you in scoring because that means <laughs> your quarterbacks aren't throwing touchdowns, your running backs aren't running for touchdowns, and the offense isn't finding the end zone nearly as much as you'd like. But yeah, that's. I mean, guy goes out there and does that. I don't really think you have any choice but to, but you're warning for a scholarship. So um, yeah, congrats to him. Um, another thing Craig did say, uh, or I guess reinforced, you know, even going back to last offseason when he said that Sean Chambers and Levi Williams were both going to play, um, he said that mm-hmm. that competition there is, is is still open. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know how much I necessarily believe that. I mean, Sean's been their starter for the last going on three seasons when he's been healthy. Um, but, you know, maybe – I don't know. It's it's an it's an interesting deal, um, particularly when you're trying to, and and I think because I think Sean's still going to be their starter as long as he stays healthy, just because of his his running ability. I mean that that's that's something that Levi nor hardly any other quarterback in the Mountain West has in terms of a of a skill set. Um, but again, both of these quarterbacks still have to show that they can be efficient in the passing game, that they can complete more than fifty percent of their passes. I mean that's that's been the talking point with this offense. All off season is you know re-engineering this thing and be- and becoming more d- multi-dimensional. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's what's been the talking point for almost the last three years now. Um, so you know that's obviously going to be a focus. Um, you know, and, and Tim Politics offense. So I do wonder, uh, you know, maybe how how that's going to play out, given that, that both of those quarterbacks still have to prove themselves as passers going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't I don't think there's a big downside to uh or I should say I don't know there's a big upside to closing the door on on you know the competition at that QB position because you know at the end of the day you you want to be pretty well prepared at backup just the way that the last few years are have gone so that means even if you have a pretty good sense that it's it's going to be Sean behind center you know you still you still need to 
to have your number two have have some good confidence that they can they can be the guy if called upon um you know or i guess maybe number three as well you know you've got you've got a beer up in the mix as well but but yeah i mean i guess the the downside there is potentially you know you don't want to uh hurt sean's confidence by suggesting he's you know not that you know you don't believe in him that to win the job but i think uh like you're saying any, anyone who's watched the last few years you know has to assume he has a head start and he probably knows that too and as long as he's healthy i i think he uh he'd be out there but you know maybe maybe uh, if it's a closer spring than you expect then then you find ways to get um get some reps for levi here and there that doesn't that doesn't hurt even if you do have a defined you know a1 starter and uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, competition is, is tends to be a good thing, and, um, I, and and I guess just going back to what you know you had talked about earlier with Sean and, and him, kind of having to decide whether he wanted to keep doing this. Um, you know, uh, I think those those are pretty natural thoughts, um, like you were saying with with the the way his career has gone, and it's almost it sounds weird, but almost like good to hear him say those things because it feels like the most healthy way to react to the way that his last year especially has gone and you know right. it, it seems like it's only sane to feel that way but all that being said you know um if, if you're the head coach and you know that that's you know maybe where your quarterback's head was at in the off season, i mean you've, you've got to always have a, a plan b so you know you, you you know even even if sean never had that thought for a second you still want to have uh, a backup quarterback who's who's confident and that you know having it be at least somewhat of an open competition is probably a good way to do that. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point that you make because, you know, they, they, you know, we can go off on so many different tangents about, about players and uh, you know, the money they make for schools, but you know, the, these guys are, are go out there and are, and are entertainment for, for fans, right? And you, sometimes it's easy to forget that the, these players are human beings and they have, they have human emotions and it was, it was good to, I guess hear him, you know, be human for a second and say, yeah, you know, I did, I really did struggle with this. You know, this is something that I've been dealing with for, for three years. I've had, you know, some of the worst luck with injuries and, you know, it really took a mental toll on me and, you know, I did think about it and, you know, you just wonder, you know, uh, what, what if it were to happen for a fourth time? I mean, God forbid, but you know, I mean, it's, you know, that, that obviously that, that's something that weighs on him heavily and he, and, and he thinks about, and, and how could you not, you know, after what he's been through. So, yeah, I mean, that mm-hmm. you, you hope that, that he can stay healthy, not only for, for Wyoming's sake, but for, for his sake and, and for his well-being going forward because, you know, he's had all the, these, these, these injuries to, to his legs and his knees, and, you know, he's still got a life to live once he's done playing football. So, um, yeah, you, you hope he can – he can stay healthy going forward for sure. But I think one of the benefits to having so much experience back is the fact that you, you can probably start making some depth chart decisions by the end of spring. And that's something Craig Bolt actually said was one of their main objectives, you know, over these 15 spring practices is we're going to compete, but, you know, going into the summer, we, we, we really want to nail down this depth chart. And that, that's a little bit easier to do and faster to do, right, when you have a roster that you're already so familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, not to, not to spend too much time on the QB position, but just, you know, another thing that made me think of is, um, you know, Sean probably has had a very, you know, even more challenging situation when you factor in the kind of context with which he joined this program. I mean, he committed to Wyoming 
I think right in the middle of all the the Josh Allen hubbub, and there's just such a mystique around that position of you know playing quarterback at, at Wyoming all of a sudden, and like you know who's gonna who's gonna replace him? I know yeah. obviously he didn't directly replace him, but he kind of took over that position in the first post Allen season, and he's he's a kid from the same area of California. I you'd have to imagine he kind of came out here with with you know big dreams in mind of, of, you know, I don't want to just succeed here at Wyoming. This is This is going to be a launching pad for me too. Um, and, you know, to have to swallow, you know, those season ending injuries, not to mention, you know, last year being on the, the just as early as it came, that's, that's just grueling. But even all that on top of, you know, probably the expectations he had for himself coming in to Wyoming. Uh, it's, it's a lot for a, you know, 18 year old kid through however old he is now, I guess, you know, in early twenties to, to process. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he did open up like that and, and, uh, not, not related to the depth chart or, or to the quarterback position, but, uh, to put you on the spot here, Davis, just one question I have out of curiosity from what we were talking about earlier is, uh, how, how does a team even go about finding a walk on, uh, kicker who turns out to, be the you know freshman all-american do you know the the backstory because i I mean there are times where when teams never even have a backup kicker period i mean for i think bowl's first couple years or at least the first couple years i was on the beat you know like cooper didn't have a backup there was just like maybe an emergency guy or or the punter would step in um you know they they brought on i i forget the the player's name but they brought on like a walk-on transfer at one point from Oregon State but but I mean there are times where they literally don't have a backup do you know how they came to and maybe you've written about this and I apologize but uh how they came to have a backup who turned out to be so good I do not and but you just that's food for thought good good story idea there Brandon all right we'll delete it nobody stay away (laughs) Michael Katz this is not your story um (laughs) no but I I don't because nobody knew who you know, John yeah. Holland was this time a year ago. I mean, he he was so buried on the depth chart. You know, Craig Bull or, or any coaches made no mention of John Holland leading into last spring yeah. because, you know, Luke Glassock was supposed to be the kicker uh, replacing Cooper. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Luke pulls a mm-hmm. hamstring or has some sort of hamstring injury, and they tried out for their first field goal against Nevada last October, and we, we're all sitting there in the press box like, who is what, number 46? What, what's going on? We were scouring the depth chart uh, <laughs> to find out who, who this kid is, and that was the first time I think really anybody had ever heard of him. And so, no, I, I really don't know what the backstory is or how he ended up at Wyoming. Um, but there are a lot of places – that, you know, sort of have these late special teams additions, right, that sort of nobody's ever heard of or fall, sort of fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily different that, that he was a walk-on because normally you only spend a scholarship player on, on one or two specials, right? Like, like your, 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 yeah. your starting kicker, your starting punter, whoever. Um, sure. But, I mean, walk so walk-ons usually fill out the depth chart at, uh, at those specialist positions. But, yeah, no, that, that – that's a good question because I don't I nor anyone I don't know if anybody really knows outside of I guess John and and Wyoming's coaches um you know how, how he ended up at Wyoming but um he's been a hell of a fine for him he just walked into Laramie one day just strolled down third street from the wilderness and, and yeah. put on a helmet yeah I mean it's I mean it's crazy that college football coaches are like the most like it, it, I mean this is in a nice way but paranoid people on the planet as far as just needing to control every little detail and, and manage just just 
this huge program of hundreds of, of people and personnel. And yet, you know, I don't think it's uncommon for there, especially at this level, to be teams that don't really have a backup at, at kicker um, or at least one that uh, they know what they can do. And, like, there are few positions that can swing uh, a crucial moment in the game the way a kicker can if, if your, you know, starter goes down. And I think that just speaks to how limited that position pool can be, I think, compared to other positions. I mean, there's only so many people out there who know how to do that very specific thing very well. And, and for them to have found such a, a good one um, and for him to have been a backup, that's, yeah, it's it's, it's a cool story. And, you know, again, uh, congrats. It's always very cool to see, see walk-ons uh, start to get uh, that scholarship money. So good for you. Yeah, him. well, you're the jinx, Brandon. So when, uh, when, when he starts missing a bunch <laughs> of kicks next year, you guys can, can blame Brandon Foster for that. Hey, man, he got his money. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's like whenever a team finally signs someone to a big long-term deal in the pros, and then they just start tanking yeah. one of those. No, he'll he'll yeah. be great. <laughs> no, he look he he showed no signs of slowing down last year. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. rain, sleet, or snow, whatever it was, and they had you know played in that blizzard against Boise State at the end of the year. It was missed one kick all year, um, and that was that was a field goal. It's perfect on extra points, and I think right at ninety-three percent on field goals. So. Yeah, a hell of a fine for for that staff, and it's certainly paying off for John now, literally. Um, Wyoming will uh, have its third practice on Saturday. Um, there is no media availability for that, so the next time that we'll get to talk to, to Craig and some, some players will be Tuesday, but be sure to uh, check out Treb.com and PokesAuthority.com for all of our spring football coverage. Uh, Brandon, let's go ahead and take a break there. And uh, when we come back on the other side, we will uh, look at this list of group of five head coach rankings uh, put out by the Athletic. And now we're going to talk about where Craig Bowl is ranked on this list of group of five head coaches that was recently released by The Athletic. Uh, Chris Vanini of The Athletic actually put this list out of the uh, top 15 group of five college football coaches. And Craig Bowl is number 11 on this list. And I think Chris has been putting this list out for a few years now, and he's actually, he actually dropped, Chris had him at number five on this list last year, dropped to number 11. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and before we just talk about this a little bit more, I'll just list the 10 coaches that Chris has listed ahead of him. Um, At the top of the list is Luke Fickle, Cincinnati. 
which I don't have any problem with whatsoever. Um, they, if they had played enough games, they only played 10 this year, but if the Bearcats had played enough games, they probably would have had um, their third straight 11-win season, obviously, uh, whereas the highest-ranked group of five conference champion and got to play in the, the New Year's Six Bowl um, against Georgia last year. So I don't – no problem with that. Um, Billy Napier, Louisiana, comes in at number two. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Um, they've really been rolling, and that would have been that would have been a fun matchup last year. If, you know, Louisiana and Wyoming were supposed to play in the non-conference portion of their schedule until COVID sort of blew all that up. Um, Bill Clark for UAB is at number three, and honestly, I I could make a strong case for Bill, Bill Clark moving mm-hmm. up to number two on this list. I mean, Bill Clark for people that don't know, UAB shut down its football program back in 2014. 2013 or 14. I think 14 was their first year back. But anyway, in those six or seven years since, he's already led them to two of the last three Conference USA championships. Um, you know, I think he was in the mix for some for some bigger jobs, some Power Five jobs this past offseason. But, I mean, he's done a phenomenal job. So, no issue with that at all. Um, Lance Leopold of Buffalo comes in at number four. Uh, Hugh Freeze. The uh, <laughs> the coach that I used to cover down at Ole Miss before that, all that blew up in his face um, comes in at number five, um, which Chris explains here because Liberty is an independent. Technically, they don't belong to a conference, but he said they, he's counting non Notre Dame independents in this on this list. Um, Take look, that I BYU. Mean, <laughs> Uh, I mean, when he was Ole Miss, he beat Nick Saban two years in a row. So, I mean, anytime you're you're doing that, you're probably going to be on a list like this. Um, Frank Solich at Ohio, um, the winningest coach in, you know, MAC history, uh, 12 straight non-losing seasons. Um, I mean, can't really argue that a whole lot. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina comes in at number seven. Um, They obviously had the breakthrough year there. where they, I think they won 11 games. So, you know, he obviously gets – he went from not ranked on this list last year to number seven. Um, Jeff Munkin and Army. Um, hard to really argue that, too. I mean, before Munkin got there, they had 18 losing seasons in 19 years, and they've uh, they've won at least eight games in four of the last five years. So, um, not much to argue there. Ken, uh, I – Man, the, the Navy's coach, I'm going to butcher his last name if I try to. Uh, New Matalolo. Yeah, if I try to announce that. So I'm going to stay away from that. Um, and then Gus Malzahn, uh, the former Auburn coach, who is entering his first year at UCF. Um, obviously, he wasn't eligible for this, this list since he wasn't a group of five coach until, I guess, this offseason. But pretty good success at Auburn. Led him to a national championship game appearance, won an SEC title, played for another one. Meh, not shocking that he's in the top 10. And then Craig Bowl comes in at number 11. And the rest of the list, if anybody else cares about it, Willie Fritz at Tulane comes in at number 12. BYU's Kalani Sataki at number 13. Troy Calhoun at Air Force, number 14. And rounding out the list is Louisiana Tech's Skip Holtz. Um, Brandon, I'll just go ahead and read what, what Chris wrote about Craig. Uh said, it's been tough to evaluate Bowles' last few years at Wyoming with all the quarterback injuries. Wyoming went 2-4 and four last season, causing Bowles to drop down this list. Still, Wyoming had won eight games in three of the four previous seasons 
it was the first time since the late 90s that Wyoming had posted four consecutive non-losing seasons. And, of course, Bowl built North Dakota State into the premier FCS program, going 104-32 overall and 43-2 and with three national championships in his final three years. Um, I, I don't think that – that's not right, though, right? Wyoming – he said Wyoming had won eight games in three of the last four years. I think it was two of the last four. They've only won eight games in two of the years he's been here. Yeah, I don't Correct or am I, there, that uh, sounds wrong. <laughs> Let me see. I'll pull it up real quick. Yeah, I. Uh, anyway, to stall for time, I just thought of a, a great new feature that athletics should take up. They have a new deal every three weeks, it feels like, where you, you can subscribe for two bucks, but they should have a promotion where Davis just reads people the athletic without a paywall. <laughs> For the next six months, yeah. Davis will read any article you want from The Athletic for free. Hey, uh, hey man, if they'll, hey, if they'll pay me. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, he, he is right. So, okay. they, uh, they One of their eight win years was, uh, you know, they, they won seven regular season, and then they won the Idaho Potato Bowl. And then, uh, okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. My fault. Well, I guess my two, fault. two of those years. My, are, fault. my fault, Chris, if you're, if you're ever listening to this. Wait, good job, uh, athletic fact-checking team. Yeah, they had two seven-win <laughs> regulars. I mean – I think there's a pretty good argument to be made for not including bowl wins or losses in the way you evaluate teams and coaches, but that's another conversation for another day. Okay, okay, let me – we did all that to get to this question, Brandon. Do you agree with that ranking, or do you have a major problem with it? Um, I, I think – I, I, I don't necessarily. I don't have a – I didn't have a problem with the, the number kind of – in and of itself, when you mentioned to me he was 11th, um, I, you know, when you see that he fell from 5 to 11 in one year, that feels a little stark Be just because last year was so wonky. They only played, you know, six games. And, and uh, you know, like, like Chris mentioned, they had uh, yet another quarterback injury. But, um, you know, when you look at the list above him, it, you know, it, they all seem to have pretty, pretty good cases for, uh, you know, for being uh, on high spots on that list. And, I mean, you look at who moved up, right? Luke Fickle moved up. You can't uh, – above Bull, you can't really argue that one. Same with Billy Napier. Um, you know, Hugh Freeze. Well, I, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just say most coaches in that top ten have won one, if not multiple, conference championships or division uh, championships within their conference. So, you know, Bulls won one division championship in seven years at Wyoming. So, I mean, that – yeah. Uh, it's it's hard to argue with just in terms of on paper the results. Sure, yeah, I um, you know I think we could spend forty minutes just talking about Hugh Freeze, but um, I, I think yeah, I think it's one of those <laughs> another podcast, Brandon, another podcast. <laughs> it's one of those deals where you're like, okay, the the number sounds low, and then you look at who's above it, and then it's like, okay, I can't make make great arguments against it. And I don't think you know, not that Craig Bowl seems to be a coach who gets caught up in these things, but I don't think he'd have. An issue with it either because he seemed to take uh, having a losing record last year to heart. You know that was uh, yeah. It seemed to really bug him, even if it was a weird shortened year. Um, yeah, and I and I think at a certain point, you know, yes, there's context to uh, you know winning at Wyoming and winning at UCF. The 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 coach above him, those are at least now two very very different propositions and. Insane. I would say much, much more challenging to succeed at 
at Wyoming when, you know, you consider it, it's maybe the smallest, uh, FBS market. Um, you know, whereas UCF is in Orlando and is like one of the biggest schools in the country. Um, you know, there, there's a context to like what he's done at Wyoming and, uh, the idea that, you know, even just being consistently good at Wyoming is a, is a good step forward for this program. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the resume is not quite there to, to line him up with the guys ahead of him. At, at least at F, at the FBS level, obviously, you know, depends how how heavily you want to weigh in the NDSU stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I said, I don't I don't have a huge gripe with, with this list, or or even where where Craig is on it. I do think he deserves to be somewhere in the top ten, and 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 this mm. is why you mentioned this a little bit, and it's the past that, that Wyoming has in football. Historically, it's been really hard to sustain success at Wyoming. Um, you know, before Craig Bowl took over the program, they had had uh, only three winning seasons since the turn of the century, and only once did Wyoming reach eight wins during that span, and that was back in 2011 under Dave Christensen. So the fact that you put together four straight bowl-eligible seasons, or let, let me put it this way, the fact that you can put together four straight bowl-eligible seasons – when that has not been done at Wyoming since the late '90s, I mean that that pretty much tells you all you need to know, and, and it's and it's without a doubt one of the hardest jobs in the country when you consider uh, some of the natural recruiting disadvantages that are that come with this job. Yeah. Now we we've talked in the past. I brought up the fact that Craig Bowles now the highest paid coach in the Mountain West. And I guess we can sort of go ahead and just mm-hmm. lump this into this conversation because I think it's relevant somewhat when you talk about expectations. When you have the highest paid coach in, your, in the league, what are the expectations now? And does that change expectations? I don't think that's, that's a conversation you can have or a determination you can make in a vacuum, right? Because it's really hard to sit there and say, okay, he's the highest paid coach in the Mountain West now. You know, we as, as Wyoming fans, the Wyoming fan base, you know, are – you know, we demand that you know you basically you turn Wyoming into the Alabama of the Mountain West. That's not a realistic thing, right? And I, I don't I don't know how many how many fans actually have that mindset, if any, uh, because again, I mentioned that the, mm-hmm. the built-in recruiting disadvantages. First of all, he's coaching in one of the few states that doesn't have an in-state recruiting base, right? You know, in terms of you know high, higher tier Division One talent. I mean, Wyoming signs one scholarship player a year, basically, in their recruiting class. So you have that. You're in a state that's isolated. And then in a, in a place where the, you have frigid temperatures during football season, and you have to mm. sell kids on, hey, come play football at, at a school where, you know, come what, late October into November, there's a chance every home game on the schedule you, you could come with a couple inches of snow on the ground. I mean, that, you know, that, that's really, really hard to recruit to. Um, so Wyoming's not getting four or five star kids and Craig's talked about this so many times and brought it up so many times. The, the fact that this is the de- developmental program and you have to bring kids here. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, that I guess are, are lower ranked kids, two star, three star. If you want to look at recruiting rankings and even, even some walk-ons, I mean, some of their most successful players, Marcus Epps, Garrett Crawl. So like, it's, it's not going to be a thing where, Wyoming's going to compete for a conference championship every single year. It's just not. Um, you know, you have to get to a place where, again, in terms of development, where you get, you know, the, those juniors and seniors that turn into three- and four-year starters 
and have a lot of pieces to the puzzle, which which makes this upcoming season, I think, one where expectations should be higher maybe than, than normal mm-hmm. just because of, of all the, the experience that you do have coming back. But th- that's sort of what you have to have, right? You sort of have to have the – you have to have development and just sort of the stars align for you to where you have an experienced and talented enough team to where you can, you can make a run at it. Now, I will say this. There's always a certain level of expectation, though, that comes with being the highest paid coach in your conference, right? Like, it's, it's not acceptable for any coach to have a losing record, right? I mean, let alone a coach that's getting paid more than anybody else in, in your conference. I mean, you know, they're paying you this sort of money – to win football games, right? And you know the fact that you know that they haven't been all that competitive with the with the teams in recent years that have finished in the top half of their division or top half of the conference. Um, you know they're two and nine since 2018 uh, against those kind of teams. You know the, the Boise States, the Utah States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, those teams that you you have to compete with year in year out if you want to get to a Mountain West championship uh, or at least you know win the division to have the chance to to play for a Mountain West championship, um, you know, that they've really struggled with that. But the thing that really makes this weird, and, and I'm glad Chris pointed it out in his rankings, was, you know, was was this past year an anomaly, or is it more cause for concern? You don't really know because your primary quarterback, your, the, the guy that's been your starter when he's healthy, you know, has spent more time on the sideline the last few years than he's actually been on the field. And that makes it really hard to gauge, you know, would, would the 2019 season have turned out different if Sean Chambers had stayed healthy all year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm positive that the season would have been more successful for them last season if Sean Chambers stays healthy. They couldn't score against Boise State. They couldn't even score against New Mexico. Um, you know, couldn't couldn't score uh, much against Colorado mm-hmm. State, which that game was just sort of a d- disaster all, all across the board. I think that was the worst defensive game that Wyoming played all year. But, you know, your quarterback, your starting quarterback stays healthy, you're going to be more productive on offense. I mean, that that's just – that's common sense, right? So it does make it hard to gauge, you know, what, what kind of progress and even maybe halting some of this program's momentum or p- progression to, to an extent just because you you're, you haven't been able to keep your starting quarterback healthy and keep him on the field. So I, I guess I, I say all that to say that, you know, I, I think Wyoming is at a point now in Craig's tenure entering his eighth season – where if you're able to stay healthy, you're, you're able to have the depth that he sort of accumulated, you know, eight years into his tenure. I think Wyoming is, is a program that should expect to, you know, make a run at the Mountain Division every two or three years and play for a Mountain West Championship every two or three years. I think they can do that because, I mean, that, that's that's two or three years in between where you're able to, you know, obviously recruit more kids and, and, and develop them over those two or three years and, you know, again, get them to a point where they're, they're upperclassmen and seniors, and that's what you got to have at a at a developmental yeah. program like Wyoming. Yeah, I I think um, you know I I think my sort of take on on where this program should be pretty soon, if it's not already, is a a, a team that is at least in the running for a, a division championship every year. Not to say they're going to win it every year. Not to say that they're going to you know maybe even uh, be one game out, but I think they should be competitive to win the mountain division every year. Now, I think when you're when you're in the same division as Boise State, like there are going to be years if if Boise is on on point and everything is going well for them, everything's clicking, like it's a lot to ask almost any G5 team to consistently be at that level as well or 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 beating it. And obviously you have to play Boise every year, but I think um they 
are at a point, or they should be soon, where they are consistently at least in the running in the way that you know they they have been. Uh, you know, at least it, you know, I think 2017 is an example for me. You know, they, they didn't make it that year, but when you look at go back and look at game by game, like they were actually pretty close to being um, very, you know, in the running to represent the Mountain Division, if not actually doing it. Um, you know, I think as far as Bulls uh, pay goes, I think that's certainly, um, you know, a, a very fair metric. I mean, I, I do think it probably won't be long before. Andy Avalos makes more than him. If I'm guessing, I'm not quite sure how their salaries are stru- structured, but my guess is <clears throat> either uh, inherently through the contract he signed, or if you know Boise has the success that it has for the last two decades, he's going right. to start making more money. Then no, I, I was go- I was going to say like if he if he goes out there and, and kills it in his first year at Boise, he'll get a contract extension and a yeah. raise immediately. Yeah, sort of how so works. so I, I don't I don't know that Bull will hold that title for long, but yeah, I mean. And and this is all sort of a relative conversation, right? Because when you're when you're a state's highest paid public employee, like you could argue that Bull should also be, like be plowing the streets when we have a snowstorm if he's going to make that much money. <laughs> but but within the yeah. framework of the NCAA and, and how much coaches make, yeah, like I think it, w- w- when you first brought that up, you know, we talked about like, oh, that sounds surprising. But then look around the league, and and you know, there's not a single coach that j- jumps out to me that I'm like, oh, why isn't he making more now that. That Harson's there. I I think um, you know. To me, this last year is also a bit of a, if not a fluke, like something. I, I I'm in general a fan of not overreacting to these wonky seasons in all sports right now, um, right. and and more just for the the reason that you know it was a short year. It was a year that was off and then was on again. It was a year that you know no fans in the stands. I mean, there, there's just a lot of like weird things to it. I'm I'm not a huge fan of overreacting. That said, you know like didn't seem to hurt coastal Carolina that much, right? Like, you know, people right. still, it, it happened and, and people's reputations did change. Uh, as far as the quarterback thing though, I think uh, obviously it's had a huge effect on this program the last few years, but at a certain point when it keeps happening every year, it's not really a free excuse card anymore, right? Like if it happened again this year, I don't think you could just say like, man, Craig Wool can't catch a break. Like at a certain point you have to have uh the understanding that that's a very real possibility and you got to have a really good plan B. And I, I mean, you know, I, right. right now, and we've talked about their plan B earlier this ex- episode and, and the way they're approaching that. But I think, you know, at a certain point that becomes less of an excuse when it continues to happen. And, you know, even, even before, before Sean, you know, like we said, they've had, they've had quarterback injury problems um, even, even earlier in his tenure. So, I think that does have a huge effect on, on the ceiling of this program. I think, you know, we've talked at length about them fixing the offense to at least get it back to a decent place. And I think that will ultimately determine their ceiling as well. But, you know, if they can just like have a decently average (laughs) Mountain West offense and get, you know, get out of that rut and, and yeah, I mean, potentially just keep the, keep their quarterbacks healthy. I think this is a program that year in and year out seems to be on that trajectory um, where, where they can at least be in the running every year, if, if not, you know. And, and I think, like, like you're saying, you know, at least make it every, every, you know, at the very least every five years. Um, I mean, I don't know how many more years Bulls are going to coach at Wyoming when you start talking in five-year increments. But, um, yeah. you know, if, if that offense gets okay, they have, I think, the defense – it, it, you know, there, there's kind of a culture there, like we talked about, of, of this defense being good, and, and that's, 
you know, Bowles a defensive minded coach. And you have um, there are, like you said, there are very many recruiting disadvantages to getting kids. Like some kids just are not going to come play in a in a city with with that weather. You know, yeah. in in a place uh, where you know there's not a Target or a Chipotle in a, in a place where you know there's <laughs> there's not a big city. There's not a beach. Uh, you know, some kids that's just going to be a deal breaker. But they, what they do have one advantage is is I think Wyoming is getting to a point, and I can't actually speak, I can't remember the last couple of years, and, and last year was weird, but I think they're getting to a point where they should be a team that expects to win the vast majority of their home games. I think uh, oh, playing no, no. playing at the war is tough just because yeah. because of that weather, because of the atmosphere or the, the altitude. Um, and, you know, hopefully when fans get back, you know, because of that too. But uh, they're... I, I think once you're once you're a team where you know you're gonna have a good head coach, a good defense, and a good chance to win every home game, suddenly like y- y- your percentages are in your favor, right? And you just gotta y- you gotta stop losing the games you shouldn't lose, and then you gotta start picking off at least every so often, uh, you know those those upsets or those wins at Boise and, and stuff like you know this, they've still never won at Boise State. It's a lot to ask to to be the Alabama of your division when you haven't even won at uh, the home field of one of your opponents. So, I mean, right. I don't, I, all this, again, is also within the context of, I don't know, Craig Bull's long-term plans. He seems to be a pretty uh, forward-thinking coach as far as, like, wanting to build something sustainable and that lasts a while. And I think if he left tomorrow for a different job, he will have definitely left this program in a really good spot and a better spot than he, he got here. But, you know... Uh, if he really wants to be like kind of the guy they build a statue of when he leaves and, and stay for maybe another uh, 10, 15 years um, or even just 10, you know, that uh, like the, the, what, I, what I think of where this program is could differ based on that answer, I guess is my point. And, you know, I think it's interesting to look at these lists of coaches because these tend to obviously be the coaches that are the hot prospects to take, power five gigs when they open up and bowl has had his name certainly thrown around in his time as wyoming maybe less so now than a few years back but i think he's probably shown that he's not jumping to get out you know if he was gonna leave it'd probably be for the perfect opportunity and i i could very much see it getting to a point where he's just you know fine with being a career wyoming guy um and and not looking elsewhere especially uh, if those you know like the k-state job is a good example i think that that maybe would have been a perfect fit and now is no longer an option you know if if he does stay here for a long time i think expectations do grow um if especially if he's the highest coach in the conference but i think there's highest highest paid you mean let's what did I say? <laughs> you said the highest. You left out the paid part. Let's, let's not <laughs> hey, insinuate anything. <laughs> he is also the highest uh, coach in the Mountain West when they're all standing on their home fields. But um, well, he's, yeah. he's also at the highest elevation too. So I guess that's you're not what wrong. I'm saying. That's what. Yeah, I, okay. that's the only thing I was saying. In fact, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, you, I don't know. You get in an interesting territory there too, though. Like when someone starts to become close to a legend and i'm not saying he's anything like that but i think when when you start to think of him think of him in that like oh here's a guy who coached at wyoming for 20 years uh the expectations grow but you also do start to get a little bit more uh uh, of a cushion you know of of what people will put up with so i don't know i mean like for me when i when i try to evaluate 
Bowles' job here, I think it'll be much easier to do in hindsight because looking forward, I just don't know uh, what time frame to evaluate it under. But I guess that's true for many group of five coaches. Yeah. Um, I, I will say your point about quarterback development is that's a good point. Um, because I mean, look, Sean's not the only one that got hurt last year. I mean, Levi Williams, you know, hurt his mm-hmm. shoulder. Um, you know, when, you know, and, and they had to bring in a true freshman, um, to play, you know, some, some snaps in those last two games. And yeah, that's going back to, to our conversation about spring football that, you know, that's why they got to figure out some, build some depth at, at that position. Um, and, and get guys, you know, if something does happen where they can at least have somebody competent who can go in there and, and execute a play call and complete a pass, and it's just obviously there's going to be a drop off when you lose not only one two quarterbacks but two quarterbacks. But you mm-hmm. know where where it's just not such so much um, disarray where you just look completely non functional. Um, you know, which is what what happened last year. You know, when, when both of those quarterbacks were were out, I mean, they you know didn't score a touchdown against Boise State. Yeah, and couldn't score enough points, 17 points against New, against New Mexico, which was the at the time was allowing more points than anybody in the country. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it got ugly there at the end. But it's also going back to the fact that Sean hasn't been able to stay healthy. That's also why I want to – I've always said I, I want to wait and see what Wyoming looks like, you know, in a full season where Sean's able to stay healthy and lead the offense for, for a whole 12 games. Yeah. Um, because, I mean – Again, he's entering his fourth year in the program, and you know nobody has has come close to seeing that. But I will say, you know, if if they do get that this year, and he's able to get through the the full season healthy, yet they're sitting there, you know, early mid November struggling to get to bowl eligibility in the in the offense, and particularly the passing game continues to be anemic, then it might be a cause for concern. But I would like to wait and see a full season with Sean Chambers under center before we start making some, some real assessments about the trajectory of, of this program or where, where it's headed. But, look, again, I think the floor right now is bowl yeah. eligibility. Like, Craig has proven, hey, you, you, can, you can get to six or seven wins and get to bowl game uh, just about every year at Wyoming. So all that's left now is a championship. Like, you got to go win a, a Mount West championship. Like, that's... That's the one thing that's missing off of his resume at this point. Um, yeah. So San Jose State did it, so no excuse. Yeah, I mean the fighting the fighting Spartans. Who, by the way, did you see where they hired a former Mount West basketball coach? Yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, I, I mean that's that's that, that's it for this team. I don't I don't think necessarily just becoming bowl eligible. Um, I don't think that's that's you know the end game anymore. I mean, because again, I think that's the floor for this program under Craig Bowl now, because he's he's yeah. he's brought he's shown that you can bring that sort of consistency, um, you know, in, in terms of of winning enough games to to be eligible for the postseason. Now it's hey, go win a Mount West championship, and mm-hmm. closest they've been is, is playing for it back in uh, 2016. But I guess that's a very long winded way of saying I don't. Uh, you know, I think he deserves to be somewhere in the top ten, just considering what he's done at a program like Wyoming. But I, and I don't think any Wyoming fan can realistically look at that and say, eh, you know, I, I don't think that's right. I mean, I, I think that's about right for for what he's done. Um, I, I, like looking at that list, I would probably put um, Craig in the top ten ahead of Jamie Chadwell, who I, you know he, he had a lot of success too at Charleston Southern yeah. before he came to Coastal Carolina, but he's only been at Coastal for two years. So I, I would like to see a little bit more, uh, get deeper into his tenure there. If he stays there for a while, of course, he, 
you know, if he has another year like they did last year, uh, he may be at a Power 5 job sooner than, rather than later. But I would just like to see a little more consistency in terms of maintaining that success. Mm-hmm. So that's just more of a of a, uh, of a link thing for me, the fact he's only been there for two years. But, um, yeah, I think overall, I think I think it's pretty fair considering what he's done at Wyoming and, and some of the questions that still linger based on, you know, what, what they've done over the last few seasons. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I would imagine you write a list like that a little bit with, like, a coaching candidate framework in mind maybe i it didn't it wasn't said i don't think it was stated in the article but th- like i said i think that's how national media tend to look at g5 coaches is okay who, who's uh, a guy who could fill an opening uh when my team fires you know their big 12 head coach but and, and i think to an extent craig bull doesn't have that appeal that some other guys do if only because he's he is 62 years old now he's never coached as a head coach in a, a power five uh, capacity and you know even when he was a power five coordinator it didn't go that great you know i i imagine he's not uh like that that 2016 17 window might have been his his best window potentially to capitalize on because you know some some programs just aren't going to hire a 62 year old uh head coach you know to to get their first shot at a power five gig um so that that could have a, a role too i think maybe in, in in where he sits but yeah and i guess you know to a couple points to add on to you know the bowl thing i think is it is important the bowl with the w thing uh as far as winning six games i i think that's important distinction that that you make that um that can't be good enough long term because also it's it is easier to make a bowl than it had been historically so i think that's worth throwing out there too at least when you're saying you know hey the the program had never made bowls this consistently like you know when you go back even 20 years there, there just weren't as many bowls as there are now. But, um, you know, I, I, I think to play sort of devil's advocate to my own point earlier about QB, um, uh, health, you know, it, it is very possible that, you know, they've just had terrible luck. And if he has a healthy quarterback, they'll just be as good as everyone wants them to be here in Wyoming, because, I, I just did the math, and, I, you know, he's coached seven years here, right? This will be his eighth, but he's coached seven years. Right. In those seven years, he has finished uh, the year with his, at least the regular season, with his starting quarterback healthy in two of them, if I'm not mistaken. And in those two years, it was, one, not a good year, but um, his very first year, which I don't think, you know, uh, anyone wants to evaluate Bull too heavily on what he did in 2014, especially since they really switched up what, you know, the, the program's offensive approach was and everything. And then the second year was 2016 when they won the division and, and, uh, you know, came within a touchdown of of winning a conference title every other year. They, uh, did not end the year with a healthy, uh, starting quarterback. I mean, you know, it's, you can't understate that even, I mean, I stand by my point of you, you gotta be prepared for it at this point, but like, that's that's crummy luck (laughs) and uh you know that 2017 year like i was saying i don't think they would have made the title game but i think you know it looks nicer on his resume when you look back and if if you had said oh they actually won 10 games that year uh if if allen stays healthy for the last two two games i don't know so you know i think uh i think you're right like hopefully we do finally get to see a full season of a healthy sean chambers and then i think it'll be a lot easier to evaluate the trajectory of this program than it is coming off a, a weird shortened pandemic season. Yeah. Well, 
Look, man, he's got. I think he's got the deepest team that he's had at Wyoming um, easily. I think the most experienced team he's had at Wyoming coming up this year. You know, again, if they're able to stay healthy, particularly at quarterback, uh, this should be a team that sh- should be right there in, in, in the thick of it. Um, you know, again, because, you know, we talked about, you know, last season, um, despite the fact that, you know, you're without QB1, again, this was a defense that still finished top 30 nationally in, in rushing yards and, and points allowed. Um, the, de- the defense isn't going to be the problem. You know, if if, mm-hmm. if Wyoming again, if if you come, you know, mid November and Wyoming sitting there with with five wins, it's gonna it's gonna be either because the the offense didn't perform, or or God forbid there was another injury um, to Sean or, or any other quarterback. But if they're you know they're able to to stay relatively healthy on that side of the ball, I don't I don't think there's any reason. Um, that they shouldn't be right, right in the thick of it, and and make their first real run at a at a conference championship yeah. since that 2016 season, and uh, you know give give Craig that one thing that you know he's missing on his resume at least at the uh, at the FBS level. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else? Any? I think we've uh, we've been talking about this long enough, yeah. so we can get out of here. But uh, <laughs> any party shots? Yeah, I think I think that's a good. Yeah, I think like best case scenario for. Uh, where this program is headed is, you know, they just have had terrible luck at QB health, and they're going to start winning ten games every year. I think the worst case scenario is, is you know, they really can't figure the offensive thing out, and he's clearly committed, you know, with the hiring of Polisek to not necessarily like hiring some new offensive guru who's going to do something completely different. Like he's committed to to his approach, and worst case is if they can't get that sorted out, like I, all the nice things we've said about what he's done for the program. Like if, if you can't score points, you're only going to coach for so long in college football. So, uh, yeah, hopefully next year we have a little bit more clear of a crystal ball. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, as always, uh, be sure to check out trib.com and pokesauthority.com for all of our coverage. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at pokes authority. You follow me on Twitter at Davis E Potter and follow Brandon on Twitter at the foster 91. Uh, this podcast is on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, and Omni. So be sure to, uh, subscribe, download it, and give us that five-star rating. If you were so inclined, you can also find this podcast on our website at the Pokescast link, which is updated every time a new episode is published. Uh, Brandon, appreciate you joining me as always, and uh, thank all of you guys for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, David. Sorry, I really quick want to fact check myself before someone tweets at us. It's possible in 2015 they ended with their healthy starting quarterback, but at some point during the year he was hurt, and they played Nick Smith and Josh Allen. So don't add us. Moral, moral of the post cast, don't add us.